1: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here as always. Today's show is brought to you in association with Arsblog, the Arsenal website that that I do and you already go to actually. Do you know what? I noticed something quite weird during the week. I googled Arsblog and in Google Arsblog comes up obviously when you google Arsblog and then it gives a description of the site underneath And it says, the most popular Arsenal-based blog that updates a new daily post every day about the latest roundup of the latest Arsenal news. Does anybody know where that piece of text came from? Because it's not something I've ever written about the site. It's not in, like, the site description or anything like that. The most popular Arsenal-based blog that updates a new daily post every day (laughs) about the latest roundup of the latest Arsenal news. So it's every day, daily, the latest roundup of the latest hours. I, who would write that? That sounds like they just got in 100 monkeys to do the works of Shakespeare, and instead they come up with a really bad website description. Anybody who could tell me where that comes from, I'd be very uh, be very grateful indeed, because it would be better to have something, you know, that made sense and was good English and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you can help out in that regard, uh, please do. So what are, we, what are we doing today on the show? I don't know. I know a little bit about what we're going to be doing, but apart from that, I don't know very much. And that's just kind of the way it goes. I am going to be talking uh, this show to Danny Carbasian. It will be, actually, I was looking this up, his third appearance on the Arsecast. That's right. Because he uh, was on a, a while back, nearly 100 episodes ago, episode 293. We did a big, long interview about you know his career and all that kind of crack. But uh, this time, he's back because, well, it's quite a special reason. He's got a book out. That's right, the Arsenal Yankee. It's called. He's written a book about uh, his time at Arsenal, his career, his football career, which, of course, we know was cut short by injury. But he's uh, he's been working for Arsenal. He's been a scout uh, for the club for uh, for a while. He's discovered players like. Uh, Gideon Zelalem and uh, Joel Campbell. So it's under Danny's watch that those guys have come to the club. And he's written a book about that and, you know, just his career uh, and uh, what, what football gave him and what it took away from him and what it's given to him since. And so we're going to talk to him a bit later on about that. And I'll see if I, you know, maybe I can convince him, maybe he might be able to get, you know, a couple of copies to give away as prizes, signed copies by Danny Carbassioon himself. So, uh, stand by for that. We'll be be talking to Danny in a little while. Of course, we'll be looking ahead to the West Ham game this weekend, tomorrow, right? Away from home for the last time at the bowling ground or Upton Park, because next season, West Ham are moving into the old Olympic Stadium, I think. So, another one of the Premier League's traditional grounds uh, will go by the wayside. And, you know, I find it a bit strange. Uh, It takes a while to get used to it. You know the way you can turn the telly on, and you know exactly which ground you're looking at. By the way, the pitch is laid out and everything else. Uh, We'll have to get used to a a brand new West Ham stadium, and of course, we'll have to make sure we don't give away any free kicks. That's right, because that guy, Payet, Dmitry Payet, He's uh, he's banging them in from all over. So, you know, uh, if we're going to make uh, fouls and free kicks and that kind of stuff, do him around the halfway line because as good as he is, I can't see him score from there. So we'll look ahead to that game as well. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, Danny Mills. I just wanted to talk a little bit about Danny Mills because, you know, from time to time, we discuss the state of punditry on this show, and we bemoan it, I think. We despair for it at times. We wonder, how is it that these People, just because they played the game of football, are given a job to talk about a game which half of them don't seem to understand very well at all. Danny Mills this week was talking about Mohamed El Neni and he was on one of those programs I think that the um, the Premier League produces for uh, for overseas uh, television stations. He could have been doing some punditry. I don't know if it was like a live thing or whatever, but he was talking about Mohamed El Nenny. And he said that uh, he's a nothing player. I'm getting this from, uh, from Reddit.com. Reddit.com are uh, gunners, right? So the Arsenal subreddit on there. And uh, Danny Mills is saying he's a nothing player. He only passes the ball sideways, does nothing in attack, and he's not even a proper defensive midfielder, right? So Danny Mills, he says he only passes the ball sideways, only sideways. Uh, you know, that's a perception people might have of certain players, right? That you think, oh, well, he only ever passes the ball sideways. There's nothing, there's nothing else he does. Just a safe player. Doesn't take any risks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But perception these days can be usurped by, I don't know, how would you say, what's a good word? Uh, facts or stats? That's right. So of the uh, 122 completed passes that Mohamed Neni made, against Watford, 59 of them were forward. 21 of them were backwards and 42 were square. So he made more forward passes than either square or backwards passes. And, you know, I guess you don't have to be a genius or awake or even conscious. You could be in a coma having hit your head, and I would say that you could provide better analysis of football Than Danny Mills. Just by simply lying there and saying nothing, you improve on what Danny Mills does. And I gotta say thank you to at Hugpang and at Majid underscore Oase on Twitter, who um, pointed me in the direction of some comments that Danny Mills made working for the BBC. The BBC, Five Live, no less, uh, about the PSG Man City game. Now, before I provide you with those comments, Let me just go back to something he said a few weeks ago. A short few weeks ago, you might remember. And he was talking about Robert Perez. Now, you know I could be a little bit precious about Robert Perez. But anyway, he was talking about Robert Perez. And he said, it's true that there was no love lost between me and Perez. I think he was writing for The Telegraph or The Times or somebody. Again, why are these people paying him actual money for this nonsense? But anyway... He said, I spent many years playing against him as a right back for Leeds United and Manchester City, and we had what might be called a fractious relationship. Or, to put it another way, I'd say Perez thought you were, you know, pretty much irrelevant, shit-kicking, bog-standard average footballer. Now, that's just my reading of it. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but here we go. Anyway, he goes on to say... I will always remember him as the player who, in my view, really brought diving into the English game. His habit of throwing himself on the ground, without any provocation, always infuriated me. Now, we know, of course, that Pires had the right of reply, and he said, I didn't bring diving to England. There was one controversy against Portsmouth, and when you run fast, a slight touch from a defender can unbalance you. I look for a foul sometimes. I provoke the defender for sure, and most of the time I dribbled past, but I never intentionally disrespected anyone. So that's what Robert Pira said. But, you know, clearly we can see that Danny Mills is very exercised by the notion of forwards diving. It infuriates him when players throw themselves on the ground. He views this as anathema to the spirit of the game. That's not how you do it. You should stay upright at all times unless the legs have been chopped out from underneath you. Gamesmanship and that kind of thing. And no, it's not acceptable, especially from a foreign player coming to England. No, they should know better than that. They should do better than that. Corinthian spirit, stiff upper lip, all of those things are really important and vital to the integrity of football. The game that Danny Mills loves so much that he talks absolute shite about it for money, for anybody at any time. He hates diving. It infuriates him. It's wrong. There's no two ways about it. End of story. It is wrong. No player should dive because, you know, it makes a mockery of the game. It makes a mockery of defenders. It's just not right. It's not proper. So Danny Mills talking about Sergio Aguero, PSG versus Manchester City in the Champions League the other night. The one problem I have with Sergio Aguero is he's too honest at times. He tries to ride every challenge. I sometimes think he should go down. So, w- yeah. W- um, what? It's okay if it's not Robert this Is this what we read into? It's okay if it's Sergio Aguero? Or is it? Is it just random foreign players that it's okay for them to dive? Or should no diving take place at all? Would that still infuriate Danny Mills? Is he infuriated by his honesty? Or is he infuriated by his attempts to con an opponent? What is it? It's confusing to me. It's almost as if Danny Mills has no consistent point of view on this. And I find that that happens most of the time when you just make something up as you go along. Like if you hold a deeply entrenched position on diving, you think diving is bad, it's cheating, players shouldn't do it, it infuriates defenders, it infuriates people when they see it, that's fine, that's absolutely great. But you can't on one hand say it's bad for one player to do it and then actively encourage another player to do it on the other hand. It makes absolutely no sense. Which, if we're going to give some credit where it's due, Danny Mills is very good at making no sense. Every week he makes absolutely no sense. And uh, this week was no exception. So... Now what? Oh, the other thing that I was going to do, I'm going to talk about it very briefly, um, Facebook, right? Uh, I don't use Facebook a great deal other than for Arse blog. Uh, I have a personal Facebook account there, which is under my Arse Blog thing, and I don't know how many friends I've got on it, but like absolutely loads. And I know about 5% of those people. I don't know how you find out how many friends you have because uh, I don't really use it a great deal. Uh, oh, I have 723 friends. And what happens is people send me friend requests and I feel like, I don't give a shit about Facebook, but I don't want to be rude. So I'll just accept them all. And that's fine because, you know, it makes no difference to me one way or the other. But then I was going through the, I don't look at the messages because like there's so many ways to contact me. Um, I don't really look at the messages very often on Twitter. And I went into the messages thing and I was just looking around. And then there was, I saw a thing called message requests. So I looked in there And then I saw this thing called c filtered requests and I clicked that and it was like, oh, fuck. There was like, I don't know, 50 messages from people that I never even saw. They never even popped up in my message thing. So I didn't know they were there. So if anybody has sent me a message on Twitter and hasn't, or on Facebook rather, and hasn't got a reply and thinks I'm just being an ignorant cunt, A, I didn't see it. Uh, Because I didn't know these like filtered messages existed, so you might want to check that yourself. Go to your message box, uh, then go to message requests and see filtered requests and see if there's anything in there that you haven't seen. There's loads of them, and people are sort of being very nice. So if you sent me a message on that, A, uh, I wasn't ignoring you, I wasn't being an asshole, um, and B, don't send me messages on that. There's ways and means of getting in touch. If you want to use email, the email uh, contact form on the website, on arsblog.com. that email comes straight through to me, and I do my best to answer every single email that I get. Uh, it might take me a while. Often I leave it like a backlog, and then I sit there and I you know, drink a bottle of wine and spend an hour and a half on the laptop uh, replying to messages. But that is the best way to get in touch, by email. Uh, you know, or Twitter or whatever, but don't use Facebook for that. So uh, if you have sent a message and you didn't get a reply, I'm not an asshole. I just, you know, I'm not a Facebook guy. And uh, Facebook was being weird and it hid your message from me in the in the first place. So blame Facebook. Hey, Zuckerberg, you're up there with Danny Mills this week, man. That's you. Now, speaking of Danny's, we're going from the bad kind to the good kind and it's my pleasure uh, to welcome back to the show former Arsenal player, Arsenal scout, and all-round good guy, Danny And Hi there.
0: Hey, man. How's it going?
1: It's going well. How's it going with you? I'm not too bad. Yeah? I'm enjoying your Instagram a lot more now that you're not posting pictures from very sunny and warm Miami all the time.
0: Yeah, it's actually... Yeah, I'll tell you what, I do miss it for sure. I was, I was going back through my feed the other day and I saw that you every time I did post a picture from the beach, I think you did comment on it. It wasn't, it wasn't a particularly nice comment, but you would comment.
1: Hey, look, jealousy is what drives me. What can I tell you? Oh, well, no, I'm, I'm paying for it. I'm, yeah. I'm in the rain in London. So. Hey, Well, that's not a bad place to be there. You're, uh, you're close to the arsenal, which is, uh, which is a good thing for the most Absolutely. part. Absolutely. Um, well, look, we're here uh, talking again because um, I just looked this up this year third time on the yeah. cast I remember the like the the one we did maybe a hundred episodes ago uh, but I'd forgotten you were on really quite early in the uh in one of the very first podcasts probably before we hit twenty or twenty five
0: yeah absolutely it was it was very early and actually a good friend of mine who listens to every episode of your podcast told me that if I talk about the same thing again it'd probably kill me and I was like well nothing's changed has it like, <laughs> like it's not like my career in soccer got any better so
1: <laughs> so what does he want you to talk about I mean I don't know that's what I'm thinking okay well look the, 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 the pressure's on you here man it's not on me you're the one who has to deliver something different to this guy so but look uh, you've got a book out is it out or it's coming out or it is out it is out now it yes. is out the Arsenal yeah. Yankee and yes. um I remember reading it, like, way back, probably the last time we did the podcast. It was around then. Um, And it it sort of covers your journey uh, from being... Uh, a small boy playing football to a guy playing for Arsenal. And then obviously, things in your career took a little bit of a, a left turn here and there and a right turn and then a dead end, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I don't want to go too much into um, the, the, the early part of your life and your career because I think that's uh, really interesting parts of the book. You know, when you go to Germany, and I still love the bit where you're like watching the 1994 World Cup <laughs> and going out and trying to replicate all the moves and stuff that you saw. What Absolutely. was the, the one, the Maradona? Was that that one?
0: That was, well, actually it was, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, it was like 94 or 98 specifically. I remember 98, I I tried to do everything uh, Beckham did, I think. Right. Kick out.
1: Uh, yeah, I but I mean, who, who wouldn't want to kick Diego Simeone when you think <laughs> about it, you know? He didn't exactly. Do, he didn't do too badly. But I mean, I think there was, I think what you get in uh, from those like early chapters of the book is this like absolute... And I guess it's kinda of, kind of unusual, but it's sort of a dedication to making yourself the best footballer that you could possibly be.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely what I, you know, try to do and it I I guess it certainly wasn't easy in Roanoke, Virginia, um, of all places. So with mm. with uh, television or with, with footy on television and in, in my backyard with a brick wall, it was like my it was my hybrid basically. So I'd go back there and do, you know, everything I saw on television and try to emulate them.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, I think that's how a lot of people um, develop as footballers. You know, you you, uh, you try and do the keepy-ups and you try and control the ball off the wall. But, I mean, football was reasonably organized when you were a, a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's 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 pretty crazy you know having having been at arsenal and seeing where some of the kids uh, were coming in from on trial where they weren't particularly playing for you know club teams per mm. se they were playing more like you know they may have been seen uh, playing pickup or whatever all over the world whereas i you know in the states and even now obviously even more so but there's there's always been a pretty good infrastructure in terms of playing travel soccer and uh, having a team to play for and whatnot especially from Uh, where i was from back home it was it was quite easy to fit into a club that was um you know had good coaches had you know good facilities and it it kind of catered towards you know development so
1: Mm. so we'll we'll sort of skip over that part a little bit and we'll get to a point where um you are phoned up by steve rowley who is Mm -hmm. the the arsenal head coach um do you uh, coach Mariner? I like that. I like the way he's coach Mariner. Uh, this is Paul Mariner, the former uh, Arsenal player, former Ipswich player, of course, was um, was involved in that as well. Do you want to maybe just tell that little bit of a story about how that came to be?
0: Yeah, i uh, I was actually invited to a camp. Um, that was it was invite only. It was a big college recruiting camp at the time, and i I was on the uh, I was on the waiting list for that. So getting the call the day before the camp was a huge <laughs> boost for me, as I really just wanted to go and get a college scholarship and ease the burden for my parents of having to pay, you know, a, a bunch of money to, mm. for me to go to college. And um, I went, uh, Paul Mariner was my, was my coach there. Um, we had all been assigned to different, you know, coaches. Uh, Paul Mariner and Bob McNabb, actually former Arsenal as well, were sure. uh, both my coaches. And um, yeah, they, they apparently, you know, kind of without me knowing, called Steve Rowley about two days into the camp. And Steve flew, I, I suppose, that day um, to Wilmington and to north carolina and he watched me kind of in the crowd lurking as as scouts do <laughs> uh, <laughs> um for for the rest of the week and then i i ended up getting a call from steve about you know 2 days after the camp ended uh inviting me over on trial so it was a uh, it was pretty crazy it was it was, it was awesome and i i expected the call from steve because paul Paul told me, throughout the week, he was asking me, you know, like, could you ever see yourself, you know, moving abroad and not going to college? Would you make that decision? Um, You know, do you see yourself living in England away from everything that you're so accustomed (laughs) to? You know, and I was like, oh, I mean, this is a weird question you're asking me, but yeah, sure. Uh, And then he asked me if I could get an Italian passport. And I was like, yeah, my mom's Italian, or if I could get a European passport, sorry. Told him my mom's Italian. And then he said, when camp ended, he was like, you should be expecting a call from, from Arsenal when you get home. So it was a pretty awesome feeling.
1: Thanks, Italian mom. Not only is the food great, but I can go yeah. and play football in England. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when that call comes then, you're sort of expecting it, but it must be still like, oh, my God, this is Arsenal calling me up here. Um, I mean, that there were how many people at that training camp? Oh, there was 150. Right. And here you are. I know did do you know did anyone else at that training camp get calls from not Arsenal but from other clubs?
0: Um I don't well uh, not from that camp um directly I mean I was I was I was very very lucky in mm. in that regard like I I ended up going Jonathan Spector who ended up signing for Manchester United actually that same year as well another American boy who's um now at Birmingham actually uh he was he was at that camp as well but from that specific camp I um i i I was the only one that you know got called to go to arsenal and Mm. uh and actually middle for um, i'm not really sure what they were doing there but middlesbrough actually called me as well after the camp and said they wanted to bring me on trial as well so um i think it's uh, i guess it's clear who i chose in the end but i went to arsenal on trial and ended up getting a contract so it was was
1: pretty awesome yeah i mean it happened very quickly as well didn't it it was no sort of hanging about
0: it did yeah i mean steve as i said steve called two days after the camp ended so Um, already like I was, you know, I was on cloud nine anyway, because I wasn't, you know, I was on the waiting list for that camp. I don't want to say I wasn't meant to be there because, you know, mentally I was like, I'm going to this camp and then, you know, I get the letter that says, you know, you've been placed on the waiting list, Mm. which is as a 17 year old, it's the most demoralizing thing I think ever. Um, so I got a call I'll go to the camp and then two days later i get a call from arsenal and steve's um, you know i think i said this the last time steve when, when he called he said hey you know it's uh steve roley from arsenal uh, you know i'm not sure if you've heard about us but we're you know, quite a, a big club in england you know I was like yeah, oh, no, yeah. i know who you are I, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I actually had an arsenal scarf above my bed as well uh so i i knew perfectly well who the club were yeah um and yeah and then you know about a week or two weeks later I was on a plane with my dad to uh to London for for my first time uh and then you know within you know within 12 hours I was meeting you know Arsene Wenger I was meeting Cherry Henry Robert Perez all these guys as they're walking into the club so it was quite Uh, Quite a quick, uh, quick situation.
1: (laughs) That would have been great, though, when Steve uh, Steve Rowley called, and you you know were a fairly big deal. To really tell me a bit more about yourselves, that (laughs) would (laughs) be. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, who? (laughs) So yeah, okay. So look, uh, you're uh, meeting Thierry, Henry, Robert, Perez, and you arrived in 2003. I did. Yes. Was it sort of midway through the two thousand and three, two thousand and four season?
0: So I actually, so that was the the, my trial was the summer of two thousand two. So school was always really, really important for me, and um, I, you know, I I tried to kind of replicate everything I did on the pitch in the in the classroom as well in terms of like my dedication and everything. So um, for me, like going to college was actually really, really important. And the the decision when Arsenal did offer me the contract after my trial. Um, I mean, it it sounds crazy to say like, you know, it was a difficult decision, but in in reality it was because my whole life kind of, I had thought about, you know, I'm going to go to college and get a a really good degree. And then I'd like to continue my playing career and then I'll have something to fall back on. Mm. Uh, And I, and Steve, Steve was aware of this, obviously, and on my trial, he kind of, he could tell how important school was for me. And uh, he ended up, Basically saying, look, we don't want you to leave school because I had one more year left in high school. So you said you can you can finish your senior year, but we just want you to uh, come back to Arsenal uh, one more time mm. like during the winter, basically, for like another week's training stint. Uh, just to make sure basically that, you know, my two weeks wasn't, you know, I didn't leave and then come back and I was way overweight and, you know, <laughs> you know, I wasn't the same kid or whatever. So uh, I went back in December. Uh, of yeah of 2002 and and then basically I said, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely doing this and uh, I signed in the summer of 2003.
1: Okay, all right. So that turned out to be a fairly monumental season for Arsenal, 2003-2004 uh, <laughs> going unbeaten. Um, what was it like when you got there? I mean, in, in terms of the mood and also uh, having come from the States to um, perhaps a more developed football culture in a football club what was it like when you were thrown in with the the other guys who are at your level was it a step up did you realize you got to work really really hard to 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 be in with these guys what was it like
0: yeah I mean I you know obviously when I went over there I thought to myself man I've done I've kind of I've gotten here by you know, I mean playing whatever organized soccer with the Roanoke Star. Obviously, that was one thing, but also by essentially banging a ball against the brick wall in my backyard and like <laughs> dribbling through a bunch of cones and destroying my parents' uh, their their garden essentially for mm. for ten fifteen years. Um, so I thought to myself, I was like, man, like if I you know if I get into this environment now where uh, I'm surrounded by you know the world's best, not only you know first team, but also the world's best like youth players as well and reserves, um, you know the future of the game, then you know lord knows how quickly you know i'll develop and um i did but it was it was a huge learning curve like i i probably for the first six months it felt like i actually forgot how to play football like and i think it came down to like you know every day uh, by myself after after school i'd go out and you know i'd train by myself back home but then this was like you know you wake up in the morning you're expected it's it's far more like regimented and it's Mm. it turned into I, I, I don't even say it was a job. I mean, it was, but it's not like you know. You're playing football for a living, so it's not the end of the <laughs> Um But it was. It was very demanding on my body, you know, mentally, physically. All my friends were now at college, you know, and they're telling me how great life is, you know, and I'm waking up on a Saturday morning to go train, you know, in the rain. So. Uh, and I got injured like essentially right away after preseason as well when I got there and had to have a um, hernia surgery as well. So right. um, it was you know it was it was it was mentally like taxing and I, I I mentioned this a lot in the book and I've I've now had to go through and do a bunch of edits and stuff and I it, it going back and reading I'm like man it 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 did remind me of how. Um, just how difficult it was, not just physically, but just the demands of like every single day is, is, is a tryout basically for the, you know, for the game at the weekend. There's way more than, you know, 16 or 18 guys at the club playing in each, you know, in each team at each tier. Uh, and every week you're basically trying out to make that make that 16 or 18, and and if you're good enough, make that starting 11. So, mm. um, you know, I was very accustomed to being, you know, probably first one on the team sheet back home, my club team, and, uh, you know, being kind of the best player uh, every time, you know, when I, when I put my kid on back home, uh, to suddenly – you know, I wasn't picked. You know, to travel. I wasn't. You know, I was watching games in the stand at mm. at Barnet. You know, like and and I'm I'm not even good enough to make it onto the bench. You know, so uh, I thought to myself, man, this is a di- very different uh, different environment. And I signed a two-year contract. So you know, six months into a two-year contract, it's a that's a pretty big chunk of time. So. Um, I had to kind of quickly get over that and and really start competing, and I'm I'm really glad that I did.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Is it's clearly a very very competitive environment, and that I think in in many ways is what drives people and players to improve.
0: It does, yeah, and that's, I mean, you know, you, you don't have to look far, to when you're in a club like ours, you don't have to look far at all to see what the end game is, especially yeah. you know, especially that season. I didn't see, you know, I didn't see our first team lose a single game in the league, Our, you know, our first season, and then into, like, well into our second season as well, like into my second season there as well. So mm. uh, would you say it's a bit demoralizing? Slightly, I mean, you know.
1: Like- but it's not supposed to be easy, though, is it? I mean, yeah, it shouldn't be easy, unless yeah. you are, like, Lionel Messi or something but you know yeah. For, yeah. yeah but I mean even you know like even even
0: in the first team like even if you're a you know kind of a bona fide first team I'll say and you're in the first team dressing room like it's not easy for those guys either you know guys like very good players like edu like ray Parler that weren't you know when i was there that weren't regulars in the first team that mm. were you know when you train with them they're they'd come down to the reserves every so often to train with the reserves if they weren't involved in the first team and they were miles ahead of us you know and and they're not getting a sniff you know at playing in the first team so um that just kind of like drove it home how you know how difficult it is and then mm. you see you know now especially you see guys like um, you know woby coming through and you see these guys who are you know they're coming through they're making an impact but they're also they're also competing with guys that you know are established pros who and and the young guys that do kind of rise to the top they you know they have that mindset that they don't care like it's mm. you know they they know what they want to do and they're going to go get it and and they're able to perform and and it's uh i think it's very impressive
1: it's interesting isn't it because you know if you um if you read around after a game that perhaps hasn't gone so well you will see people talking about certain players in not terribly flattering ways, right? <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> and that's that's par for the course. But, you know, when you step back from it then and you're talking about, okay, well, here we are, we're the bubbling under players, but the guys who can't quite get into the first team on a regular basis are, you know, miles ahead of you. The idea that you could be a shit player and play re- first team football on a regular basis for Arsenal is kind of ridiculous, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean yeah especially I mean I you know I understand where the you know fans you know they pay a lot of money they put a lot of emotion and support into their clubs but um I think from a player standpoint you know you get to see all these guys you know you play against them every single day you're training against them every single day and you see every day just how you know just how good they are I mean obviously guys like Henri Berg, Camp Perez they they put shows on, you know, at Highbury and, and even the Emirates for, for years. But mm. the stuff they would do in training on a daily basis was, you know, never makes a highlight reel. But some of that stuff was better than anything you'd ever see, uh, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday.
1: What I is that? Are they is that in a, maybe trying to outdo each other in, the, in that way? Uh, I mean, I think it just...
0: I don't, I don't know if it's them outdoing each other but it's just them being in a comfortable environment they're in their you know they're in their daily work environment at that point and they're kind of doing stuff that as a you know as a kid in training you try to do and you know whether or not you pull it off maybe in a game it's a bit audacious but yeah training, you probably you do shouldn't it.
1: do it in a game actually, yeah exactly you know?
0: <laughs> but the stuff they're doing it wasn't like they were showboating or anything it was mm. just their natural ability kind of coming out and then being in an environment where you know, they're not going to get punished for it. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to have 80,000 people jeer at them or boo them for trying something kind of ridiculous, but yeah. you know, they pulled off, but it just shows you like how kind of how good, how good they were. And then, you know, like any top, top sport, you know, you train, you train us all, you know, all week, all year, you know, for years for the Olympics, for, for example, and then you get that one opportunity to do it. Um, they just had that, you know, being in that environment every day. We were getting to see it. There was just some, you know, amazing, yeah. amazing football being played on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. yeah, when you when you say you know when fans are saying he's he's not good, he's crap, whatever, you just think, man, no, he's. He's very good to get there to get a contract to be involved in the first team to get to play to actually get to play for the first team. Like yeah. you have to be of a very high quality.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, we'll uh, try give that a bit of context, perhaps. You know. <laughs> um, all right. So look, we'll uh, fast forward then to the following season, and Arsenal are playing Manchester City. It, what, what was it then? Was it the the it's Carling Car- Cup? Carling yeah. Cup. It's changed name so many times down the years. <laughs> you lose track. Um, so Carling Cup, away at Manchester City, and you travel up there on the bench. Uh, you don't start the game, but... Uh what minute did you come out? About seventy-five minutes, something like uh, that.
0: Eighty-two, actually. Eighty-two. Not, not that I was counting. <laughs> <you> know,
1: <fortunately. laughs> There's only eight minutes left. What am I going to do? Jesus, what was that like? I mean, you were obviously told to go warm up, uh, so you're running up and down the sidelines. You're you're stretching. You know, you're you're making yourself big when you're doing your stretching. To sort of here I am. Don't forget about me. (laughs) Uh, And all the the while, the time is going tick, 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 tick. And you're sort of going, please, 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 please. Uh, So what happens then? You're there. You're on the sideline. What happens?
0: Yeah. I mean, as you said, and I was warming up for, man, I was warming up forever. Like by the time I came on, I think I was, I was like, just get me on or else I'm going to die of exhaustion over here. Like I'm running (laughs) up and down. Like I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to get everyone's attention, like put me on and, uh, Yeah, I came on for um, I came on as I said an 82nd minute, and I I I came on to provide uh, basically defensive cover for Seb Larson as well because Seb was making his debut as a left back, which is actually hilarious because he's by no means a left back, but he was Mm. playing really really well in the reserves at the time, and I think the boss didn't want to leave him out of the team, Um, so he said we'll give him a you know we'll give him a run out of left back, and he was marking you know Sean Wright Phillips at the time, so. Uh, if you've never played a position like that and you're marking a guy who can you know run a hundred miles per hour past you, then it's, it's it's never fun. Um, so yeah, I came on to provide kind of defensive cover with with Seb on the left hand side. I, I played as a left midfielder, obviously, but uh, yeah. And then uh, we were winning one nil at the time. Uh, the, the game was quite open because just of the situation, and we broke Quincy to Bay got the ball on the right hand side of the pitch and uh kind of made its way around to Cesc. Sesk was in the middle, kind of dribbled across like very, very patiently as Ses as typically does and mm-hmm. um, ended up – I kind of pulled Danny Mills out of out of position and then ran in behind and Sess played a really nice ball in behind, which I basically took a touch and then uh, – Took a shot and, and ended up scoring, which I probably should have passed. But uh, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> hindsight, hindsight. Uh... Listen, <laughs> hindsight. It, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. If you missed, you would say, "Oh well, I should have should have passed." When the ball yeah. goes in the back of the net, that it yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, that's the main thing. There are perhaps uh, ch- uh, chances that that go in where you go, "Well, you could have squared it," but come on, <laughs> yeah. you can't take that away from us. I, I mean, that's I, an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, it's funny, I like when I got home that night. Actually, after the game, I. Uh, Um, as you can imagine, there was a bit of adrenaline rushing through me for probably the next week. Um, (laughs) so I, uh, I got home and turned on my television and like sky sports was running, kind of like running a replay of the game. Uh, so I, I watched it and I saw it. I was like, Oh man, like. Robin was wide open in the middle of there, completely unmarked. Like, I really should have passed it.
1: But... Well, it's a good job that he's not the kind of character who would let somebody know that they made a mistake in a situation like that. Right?
0: Exactly. That's why I knew I had to score.
1: <laughs> so, uh,
0: so yeah, so I I mean, it was uh, obviously that's my kind of my highlight moment at the club um, mm. for my playing days. And it was, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was surreal. It's something as a kid you always, you know, you always dream of. I mean, a being you know being involved in the in the eighteen or the sixteen whatever it was then was mm. um, was incredible. So that night, like I basically just realized probably like three of my dreams, like kind of back to back to back, and they one upped each other like yeah. very quickly. Obviously, um, you know, kind of seeing my name on a kit and then actually getting to make my debut. You know, regardless of it being in the last eight minutes, and mm-hmm. then um, and then actually scoring and you know kind of making an impact in the game as well was uh because Robbie Fowler ended up scoring like immediately after we did so Michael ended up being the winner which was uh kind of made it even a cooler story yeah 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 yeah. Uh, so so yeah it was a it was a very very nice feeling
1: um and you played the next game didn't you in the in the Carling Cup I think
0: I did yeah I got to actually uh I started and played the whole game against Everton at Highbury which was um another you know once again like getting getting to make my debut is one thing we were away from home so it was amazing obviously but mm. you know when when you come on trial you don't go to you don't go to city manchester stadium you go to highbury and that's what you that's where you want to be yeah um and and when i did come on trial you know like steve Rowley brought me there on a bit of a a, a bit of like a private tour at the kind of near the end of my my trial and uh, we kind of walked around this was like you know a week or two weeks before the season started and um, he kind of walked me around there's nobody in the stadium and he was like you know it'd be you know it'd be great to see you out here one day mm. and, um kind of that night when we got to play when, we, when when i got to play against everton it was just you know it was just awesome like even f- everything was just amazing like everything that you know we we as reserves you have to go to every game um and, and i don't say that painfully either like yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was amazing to get to go to every game you get to um, go to the games yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and um We'd sit in the paddock and you know, every you, you kind of understood how you know the warm ups went, you, the whole routine, walking out of the tunnel, the music, everything, and um, getting to like actually you know be a part of the show as opposed to mm. being a spectator was uh, yeah, it was certainly a, a, a kind of a, a night and a memory that I never... You
1: played left back that night, is that I right? I did, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, played left back, yeah, so that was um. I think the uh, the sub experiment uh, <laughs> it, it didn't go as planned. I mean, he did a good job. Obviously, I don't. You know, any, anytime you have to play at a position, it's never easy. He's, he's right footed as well, so sure. uh, it, um, so yeah. The next game, I got to that game, I, got, I did get to start. And Cliche, uh, Cliche, and Cole were like injured, like one after the other, like throughout the entire season. It was it was mm. I mean, for me, it was perfect because that just meant I was the kind of the alternate left back in, in first team training and everything, basically throughout the entire year. Yeah. Um, and in games like this, where Clichy likely would have played, um, I got the chance to do it, and he he ended up returning. Um, he ended up returning just in time for the United game in the next round, so he ended up getting the start. Um, right. The, the next game at Old Trafford,
1: but I, I can't remember it. what happened. Did we win that? We one ended up or? losing.
0: Yeah, I say um, it's all
1: Clichy's fault.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Interesting team that night. I just looked it up here. The uh, Almunia goal. Uh, back four of uh, Justin Hoyt mm-hmm. Johan Djourou, Philippe Sanderos and uh, and yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, midfield Ryan Smith. Yep. Uh, Jermaine Pennant, some guy called Matthew Flamini <laughs> <laughs> Not sure <laughs> if he's still knocking around. Uh, Edu and uh, Robin van Persie and Arturo Lupoli, yeah. um, who scored who scored two goals. I mean that That's was nice. a, that was yeah. I mean that was amazing. I remember when Lupoli and Bentner were were coming through at use level, and they were scoring a ridiculous amount of, of goals each. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just one of them scoring. They had this, this great partnership. Um, it's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, it just shows you that you can be that good at that level. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, get the chance to make the step up and uh, and you, you become a first-team player, that, it, you know, it's really not that easy. I don't know where Arturo Lupoli is these days. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think I think one thing that, um, I mean at least I learned a lot from just kind of being involved on a daily basis in the in the professional football environment then obviously from uh, from the scouting side of things as well in terms of like what um, kind of what we look for in players and like you know kind of the whole package when you think about mm-hmm. it is. It, it does take a lot more than just being extremely gifted at the sport to make it at the top level, and to actually have like a career that goes on for quite some time. Because so many things come into play, you know. Like, how do people deal with you know suddenly getting a bunch of money? How do people deal with getting a bunch of fame if suddenly mm. you know, like everybody wanting things from them, everybody telling them they're amazing one day, and then you have a bad game, and everybody telling them they're you know useless the next day? How yeah, do they, yeah. You know, how do you bounce back from all that stuff? So. Um, you know, then I've probably been like really surprised to see like a kid like Arturo. I think he scored like 40 goals or something one season yeah. uh, in in the youth. Um, whereas now, I you know, I see it and I'm not, not that I'm not surprised, you know, it's obviously it's never nice to see it, but it's kind of more like, man, yeah, I guess you know, something, something didn't, you know tick I guess you know yeah. something didn't happen right yeah, to make him continue on that path
1: So it is I mean you know we've seen a couple of examples at Arsenal haven't we where you, it looks like a player's career is going one particular way think of Francis Coquelin for example mm-hmm. who for whatever reason didn't really get the chances at Arsenal was farmed out on loan it looked like that's where he was going to end up, somewhere lower down the leagues. All of a sudden, a chance uh, presents itself and like he's a phoenix from the flames sort of thing. (laughs) So, I mean, it can can go the other way. But, yeah, I mean, there are so many variables, aren't there, and so many many ways that the sport can take you. By the way, he's playing for uh, Catania um, in uh, Lega Pro, which is the third tier in Italy. So I don't know if that's like Serie C or whether it's been renamed or what, but that's that's kind of where he is and when you talk about that when you for example um, people know of course that you do scouting for the club and you're responsible for uh, uh, uncovering and bringing in Gideon Zellalem I mean is that part of your remit as a scout um I, I know that the club have people probably specifically uh, designed to educate these people. But when you what your responsibility as a scout is somebody who brings a young player to the club. I mean, do you have to tell them about those kind of things about this is what you're going to have to do? I mean, a lot of it seems like common sense, doesn't it? But uh, at the same time, you're dealing with 18 year olds and 20 year olds and 22 year olds. And, you know, I know from um, um, personal experience that common sense was in fairly short supply when I was that age.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think especially now too, because you know, as I mentioned, like the like social media has, I think, cha- I mean, it's changed. It's changed the way I think footballers have to approach kind of their time away from the pitch as well. Because you know, you have one good game in a preseason friendly, or you have one good game. Um, you know, maybe you play in the FA Cup or the Capital One Cup, or even the Champions League, mm. and suddenly you have, you know, like two hundred thousand people that didn't know about you the day before, like suddenly are following you on Twitter and like, you know, living by your every word and like waiting waiting for you either to do really well or mess up essentially. Um and it is I mean like with with Gideon for example, I you know, I, I initially saw him when he was thirteen, so I I developed a pretty good, you know, in terms of like friendship and, and relationship with him and his family as well. Um and he he'd come to me with you know, questions about how things were, if if things weren't going well. And um, yeah, I, you know, whether or not it's like part of the official, I suppose, job title, I, I don't really know, but it's, it's definitely like, I, I, Got kind of, I got to live it and being especially like an American, kind of going over there and mm. um, experiencing knowing what it's like to be so far away from home and away from your friends. And sure. Um, and so, yeah, I've, from that point of view, I've actually enjoyed letting him know that, you know, yeah, these things will happen. You won't always have the best day in training. You won't always have the best games, you know, and and it's really how you kind of react to it and, and bounce back whether that determines whether or not you'll, you know, actually be successful at the club or, or somewhere else. Mm. And uh, I think it's, it's interesting seeing I mean he's especially he he's matured you know greatly obviously since since I, I saw him initially and it's been really fun kind of seeing his progression through. Um, how much will that,
1: this um how much will this season because it, it struck me that when he went to Rangers on loan, it was mm-hmm. quite an quite an odd move. Um, for a player of his age, maybe for a player of his stature and for his his type of player Mm -hmm. uh, to go to um, the Scottish Championship or whatever's below the the Mm -hmm. Premier League. Um, I know the manager there is is a guy who likes to play football in a specific way, which he obviously uh, has seen uh, Gideon uh, as part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of a learning curve for him and the type of football that he's going to be faced with and the type of footballers that he's going to be faced with, a little bit like being thrown in at the deep end or like a really crucial part of his development at his age?
0: I mean, I think, it's, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, it's, I look at it and I say, look, it's an amazing opportunity like to get to the chance to play for a club like Rangers, especially with, you know, every time they play at home, it's, you know, it's a packed house and it's a, it's a crazy atmosphere. Getting to be involved in the first team on a daily basis, you know, in training and then being involved in the team and actually being like an integral, you know, cog of the side as well um at at that age and and feel you know he's i've been speaking to him and he's you know he's talking about like potential promotion and all that stuff it's like at that age getting to do it all is i think is phenomenal Mm -hmm. and then you think about like yes it's very different from what he'd be accustomed to um at, at arsenal and in the environment of arsenal and then playing in the reserves and and kind of under the the watchful eye of the club and the manager and all the coaches but um, it's also wonderful for your footballing education because suddenly you're like, wow, this is nothing like I'm accustomed to, and I have to adapt to it. You know, like yeah. if I don't, if I don't get out of the way, I'm getting kicked. Like if I don't, <laughs> if I don't kick someone, then I need, you know, like I'm going to get kicked. So I think you learn and you toughen up. And you know, as, as I keep saying, at that age. Um, where you're kind of just you know, you're still a sponge and you're still learning and, and how you react to it is uh, is is massively important. I think it's only going to be beneficial for him.
1: Okay, well we'll uh, look forward to see what kind of a player he is when he comes back. We see him this summer, and of course Rangers. I think they did get promoted this week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, i mean, fantastic to be part of that because there's, there's pressure, and I think that's uh, learning to cope with that is part of football as well. Absolutely. Um, so look, I mean, you, you had little spells at uh, Burnley and Ipswich, um, which uh, didn't go obviously as well as you would like. And you, you had to retire from the game at the age of 22 because of an, a knee injury. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything maybe now that might have helped um, maybe modern medicine or modern techniques that might have helped prolong your career or, or was it fairly inevitable?
0: Uh, I mean, I, t- I, I tore my cartilage, uh, and, and I suppose tearing your cartilage is pretty straightforward. I was unlucky in terms of just I did it so many times that the last time I did it, my uh, I had joint damage, and my bones like kind of clinked together when I got tackled, and it was, was quite a bit of damage, and, and kind of both my uh, both my bones. So. Um, so yeah, I don't, whether or not anything could have been done. Um, <laughs> I, 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 was just, you know, I, another thing that you need to do to become extremely successful in football is be ridiculously lucky as well in terms of injuries. <laughs> uh, yeah. I look at these guys, I looked at like Cafu and Maldini and. Like even gigs and all these guys that played until they were 39 40 and I was like h- how did you how do you do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't really understand but uh yeah I was unfortunate in that regard but it you know everything happens for a reason and i um they kind of put me onto the scouting path and i obviously i've enjoyed that since
1: yeah i mean it opens up a different door and maybe not a door that you expected to open but i mean h- how was that then in terms of how you viewed the game and when you watch a game, because you're obviously watching for, for different things. When you're objectively watching uh, a match, uh, or subjectively watching a match, rather, um, y- you've got to be looking out for specific things. You've got to be looking at at uh, uh, different ways that players are moving or, or interacting with their uh, teammates. Um, does it... I mean, that's educational, I guess, in a way.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, and I, I mean, I had to... I, I definitely had to learn how to how to watch a match in a very different manner uh, when I when I first started when I first started this. And I mm. you know, I was I think I was I suppose I was twenty maybe I was twenty two or twenty three when I started. I forgot at this point. Uh when I started, but I, I flew over to uh I flew over to London and, and basically watched a bunch of games with Steve Rowley and a bunch of other senior scouts and even youth scouts who um they kinda went across the entire spectrum to see uh players from all ages and, um, at all levels as well. And, uh, started kind of writing reports and, you know, the first couple of reports I wrote, I think Steve probably laughed more than he's ever laughed in his life based (laughs) off of like what I was (laughs) a, my, a, like my writing style. Uh, and, and then, and then B as well, just kind of like what I was, um, you know kind of what I was looking at it was probably not what they needed me to be looking so, at so
1: okay so on that though, what what's the remit then so let's say the first game that you're you're sent to scout for Arsenal what's what do they tell you what are they looking for they just want you to see if you can spot talent or you know are they looking uh, for I mean,
0: well there's there's a mix so there's like sometimes you go yeah spot talent a and then another one will be go watch you know go watch a player that they tell you about as well yeah, and yeah. then see essentially what you're you know, what your thought is. And that, I mean, now, obviously after, um, nearly 10 years of it and having, you know, found two players, uh, I think it's, for me, it's much nicer. I feel way more confident with my, you know, with my opinions as well. You know, sure. in my first four years, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing things. I'm thinking, well, I haven't even found anyone. I haven't sent over, you know, I've sent one kid over on trial. I haven't, we haven't signed anybody from my region. Like, I wonder if, you know, doubts come into your mind. Like am I doing the right things? Am I am I going to the right places? And
1: are your standards um, too high?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, to me they should be because Arsenal, you know, I was I saw what the standards should be both at the reserve and, and first team level and, and kinda that's what you know, that's I, w- I was lucky in that regard as a scout to know what, you know, what type of players made it and what type of players didn't make it. Mm. Um so yeah, so it's um it was a bit different uh, kind of learning how to do all that. But I remember the the first game I went to actually was from, from my trip in London. Uh, Steve had me fair enough. Steve had my first flight go to uh, my first trip, go to Fort Lauderdale, like Miami area from, from London uh, to watch Switzerland play Jamaica in a friendly and both Philip Sandros and Johan Giroux were playing. Um, And I I forgot who he mentioned, but so I'm here. I am like buzzing. I'm, you know, this is my first time on the road as a scout on my own, Uh, I go watch the game. I watch Johan and Phil and I'm like laser focused on both of them. You know, I'm buzzing about my report. I'm excited that, you know, everything that I learned about in London, I'm ready to apply it. And then the first thing he asks me was how did, I I forgot what the name of the player was, but he asked me how another player did. And I was like, oh, um I'm not 100% sure cuz i was just watching Phil and Johan i wasn't really kind of paying attention <laughs> to anybody else he was like well he was like well, you need to learn how to do both yeah you know? so, like, that's a good point yeah so uh, so yeah i mean it's interesting to like to know exactly you know when you're watching a certain player even two players and knowing everything that they do on and off the ball mm. But kind of still be in tune with what's going on in the rest of the game. It's it's uh, it, it can require quite a bit of attention.
1: Yeah, uh, I and, guess uh, practice though. You know, because it, you have to train yourself to watch watch the matches in a different way than you yeah. would if you were just a fan watching a game. You can you can sit there and whatever. But if you're trying to actually focus and remember things, write things down yeah yeah
0: exactly and that is there's and there's also like the guys there sometimes i see scouts like in you know even even here you see scouts that just are, are constantly writing and i'm wondering like are you even watching the game you, you're like writing a novel over you know, like, <laughs> every every time something happens your pen's on paper writing something so yeah i wonder how much of the game they're watching so it is a it is a i mean it's an interesting um uh, kind of concept of watching just one player out of 22 but also knowing exactly what's happening in the rest of the match but having enough to write an actual report on as well so.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean I guess as well there you know there probably aren't um, there aren't tests you can take to check your scouting abilities, you know. There's an element of trust between the club and the scouts and the scouts and the club as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean obviously like it's it is a I mean it is an opinion based field as well at the end of the day too. Yeah. You know, it's like if you know I'm I'm probably more uh, you know, I lean towards certain players more than other scouts will lean towards, just because you know each of us have our kind of our styles as well. That you know, players I would like to see in Arsenal's first team doesn't necessarily mean that another scout like 100 wants that guy in the first team. You know, so right. Um, that's just how I mean. That's just how opinions work, obviously. So, <laughs> so.
1: what ha- so what happens then if you if you find a player that you think might be suitable for Arsenal or suitable as a candidate to join Arsenal, maybe develop into a player who could become part of the first team? Um, is there enough weight of your opinion or will they say, okay, well, right. You've recommended this player. We'll go watch him as well and see what we think.
0: I would say. So initially when I first started, it was, if I saw a player and really liked him, I would, another scout would have to come watch him Mm -hmm. in in the States or in my region. Um, as I said, like after after Joel and Gideon, um, I have I, mean, I think I've earned the trust of the club a, a, a bit more, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And they, if I say like this kid has to come on trial, then I can arrange the trial without any issues. Okay. Um, I mean, it depends. Obviously, with with first team players, like with senior players, it's it's a much different story. Obviously, when there's you know a large transfer fees involved and all that, and I mean that's how it should be. Like you get the, the opinions of multiple scouts, especially if you're going to, if you're going to make a big time
1: signing. Sure. Sure. And it must be great as well to see Joel Campbell, um, having been, um, Responsible for for his uh, his scouting and his arrival to a certain extent at the club, for him to I suppose in in some ways prove people a little bit wrong and maybe even I won't no I'm not going to put you on the spot there. <laughs> I was going to say by proving Arsene Wenger wrong that would be putting you terribly on the spot. But you know it, f- it felt a little bit like he was on the periphery. Uh, but you know uh, throughout this season there have been there have been disappointments, but he's been one of the consistently bright spots. Yeah,
0: it's yeah it's been it has been I mean very very exciting this season watching him uh watching him play especially because you know i see i'm 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 active on social and i see you know what, yeah. <laughs> what people say about players and i you know and at the end of the day you're like no i you know i saw what i, what I saw when i saw him you know i thought he could 100 percent be a player at arsenal and i thought he had you know all the tools it was you know he it still had a lot of work to do and he had a lot of things that he could improve with us you know that's what scouting is in vast parts of the world that you're not you're not exposed to you know the biggest clubs you go find the guys that maybe have that raw talent and then you bring them in and it's up to the club and and the player to ensure that they continue progressing in the right direction Mm. um so yeah seeing it this season it's been it's been pretty awesome and he's uh he's kind of everything that like i initially saw four or five years back and all the uh kind of the his his intelligence his his ability his technical ability his his work his work rate like all these things are actually coming kind of coming out and he's actually executing things more and more often mm. now and it's it's just really exciting to see especially because a lot of the things that he's done have been in in pretty big games as well and like yeah. have been pretty uh Kind of uh kind of big moments that have affected kind of the season as well, so it's been uh it's been fun to watch
1: yeah it's been good and you know I think it, what's been really good about it is that he has been in and out of the team a little bit and obviously mm-hmm. he's done well and Iwobi is making a little bit of a breakthrough now, but mm-hmm. uh when he does come on and when he does play he he really does um look like a player who wants to take the chance that he's got, which i think yeah. is uh, is Yeah, is great. I mean
0: and that you know I think that's also a uh, kind of a product of of Concacaf players as well. You know, I've uh, I've been to parts of Central and South America that he, you know your only option is making it, mm. and it, it, you can see it in Joel as well when he comes on. And as you said, he's been in and out of the team, but every time he does get a chance, you know, you know, if anything, he's going to give 150 percent regardless. Yeah, you know? and it's I think that's refreshing. Uh, to, to see in our team. So.
1: All right. Well, listen. Congratulations on uh, on you. playing your little bit of a part. Um, <laughs> so look, the book, The Arsenal Yankee, it's out now. How and where and uh, and 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 all that can people get it?
0: Yeah. So you can. So UK UK is available directly through the publisher, and in the US, um, uh, you can buy it through the website, thearsenalyanki dot com. And if you go to thearsenalyanki dot com, you can select UK or rest of the world, and you can. Uh, be, you'll be directed basically to where you need to buy it there, but it's uh yeah, it's available. It's shipping now in the UK and and the rest of the world, but in the US, it should be uh it should be shipping early May. But there's pre-ordering available.
1: Okay, cool. So the arsenalyankee and is it in bookshops in the UK? Will it be in regular uh, bookshops?
0: I'm not, I don't think it is yet, but okay. I think we're working on it. I think we're potentially working
1: on getting it into the Arsenal shop as well. Okay. Oh, great. Cool. Well, so all the information, everything people need is on the website though. Yes, absolutely. All right. Listen, Danny, um, third time, lucky again. It was great having (laughs) you. I really appreciate the time.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, man. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: Thank you very much indeed to Danny. Always good to talk to him. You can find him on Twitter at D And if you want to find out more about the book, how you can buy it, uh, you can check out thearsenalyankee.com. Thearsenalyankee.com. You'll find shop links, social media links, and lots, lots more, including a link to that goal that he scored against Manchester City. And I'd kind of forgotten uh, before I started the interview and uh, as I was doing the previous bit when I was talking about Danny Mills, how Danny, uh, good Danny, absolutely left bad Danny floundering uh, to score that goal. He made one step backwards and then gave him the dummy run and uh, Sesk played the ball in and he finished and fantastic. A great goal. What an amazing uh, thing to happen on your debut, having come on as a substitute, uh, but also, to make Danny Mills look just a little bit silly as well. I mean, that just adds the icing onto what is a very, very nice cake indeed. So, if you would uh, like to win one of two signed copies of the Arsenal Yankee, it's really simple. All you need to do is send an email to competition at arseblog.com Answer this question. Danny played for two other English clubs. Tell me what they were, please. Two other English clubs uh, before he had to retire uh, so early. Just tell me the name of those two clubs, competition at uh We've got two signed copies to give away. We'll give you the winners on next week's show. So there you go. That's all very good and exciting and uh, stuff, isn't it? So look, now we're looking ahead to the West Ham. game. I'm sitting here this evening. It's Thursday, so I'm watching a bit of uh, as I record here, Liverpool are playing Dortmund. An emotional experience for, for Jurgen Klopp going back to the club where he spent so many years. Oh, James Milner just got kicked right in the fucking leg. Quite good. Well, oh, that was. I enjoyed that. Um, what was I saying? Um, yeah. Oh, Liverpool are playing Dortmund and stuff. So I'm watching that. So, uh, we're heading towards the end of the show, though. So, probably not much is going to happen. Liverpool have a corner as we speak. Uh, keepers got it, and some fuckers just hunted it over the bar. Oh, was that Moreno guy? Anyway. So we're playing West Ham, and of course, West Ham were the team that we played on the opening day of the season, and they beat us. If you remember, there were mistakes that day. Things didn't go as well as we thought they were going to go. Petr Cech had a bit of a mare. We had to bring on Alexis Sanchez after he'd only had three seconds of holidays, and he wasn't good. And I don't know if that game set the tone for our season. I don't know if you could say that, but it wasn't a great way to start the season. Oh, come on, referee. What the fuck? I think that's Sacco. Yeah, Sacco's just kicked some bloke. I mean, that was a like spectacularly Sunday League foul there from, from Sacco. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He stood on him, then kicked him. This guy, oh, that's amazing. I always feel bad now. I mean, I could do that. Seriously. They've got a free kick. I don't know if it's in um, shooting range. But at West Ham then... So we need a bit of revenge, but they're good and they're playing well. And as I said, you don't want to give West Ham any free kicks where Dortmund have a free kick from right now because that guy Payet, he's, he's on a roll, isn't he? He just needs to sort of tap them. They're going in at all angles. Keepers have no idea what he's going to do. Is he going to put top corners? Is he going to put left corner? So, you know, I think we'll see, even though the manager said he's reluctant to make changes uh, to a side that's winning because Aaron Ramsey is back, Matthew Flamini is back. Uh, those potentially could come back into the team, but... Uh, Oh, oh, wide free kick. It was always going wide from Obama Yang. Um... I don't think he's going to make any change Apart from maybe bringing Petr Cech back in uh, goal I think he should bring Petr Cech back into goal David Ospina has done very well Made some good saves But Petr Cech is our, our number one goalkeeper And he should come back in Apart from that I wouldn't change anything from the team uh, That played so well against Watford uh, That means uh, Mohamed Neni In midfield alongside Francis Coquelin And of course Iwobi, uh, Welbeck and Alexis up front Works, it's, you know, it's good and I think what we'll see probably against West Ham is is quite how good it is or how good it could be because I'm taking nothing away from the way we played in those two games, but Everton have been a bit poo and there is an element of Watford having an eye on an FA Cup semi-final. Not a huge amount, but... I think it's a factor. And they're also two fairly average sides. West Ham have been really good this season. Slaven Bilic has got them playing some good football. They're only three points off the Champions League places. They're at home, and they're really going to want to win this game and take the three points. If they can get themselves into the Champions League next season, that would be amazing for them going into a new stadium. So I think it's going to be a bit more difficult than the, uh, the previous two games. If we can come through uh, this game and play well, win, perhaps, and keep a clean sheet, then you could say we're really onto something in terms of this formation and in terms of uh, this setup that we have at this moment in time. Uh, and why would you change it, even if uh, Ramsey is back, even if Sandy Cazorla comes back, even if Jack Wilshere and Thomas Rositsky, who are due to play for the under-21s tonight, as you're listening to this, if you're listening on Friday, they're due to play for the under-21s. Uh, if, even if they're back... I think you just stick with what we've got and you use those guys as a bit of depth and uh, to add a bit of competition. But this team, if it can do well tomorrow, um, why shouldn't it play the next game and then the next game? Because it's the first time in quite a while that we've played really cohesive, decent football. So uh, stick with it. So um, that's just about that. I can't think of anything else to talk about. I'm sure I could. I could just sit here and commentate for the rest of this uh, Liverpool game. But nobody wants to hear that. There isn't enough violence to, to keep us entertained or Dortmund goals, I should say, as well, uh, to keep us entertained. So uh, I'm going to leave it there for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Much appreciated. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra looking back on what happened against West Ham. And is it next week? I don't think it's next week. I think it's the following week. We have a really weird Premier League game on a Thursday against, uh, against West Brom. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do there because we've got a podcast for Friday morning, and we're playing it. Oh, holy shit. How the hell am I going to do that? Sacco just gave the ball away again. He's fucking ridiculous, that guy. Uh, so we'll figure something out anyway for uh, for that particular RS cast, but maybe we've got an, an extra week to do that. So, look, uh, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's keep fingers crossed so we can take three points, keep this uh, little run going, uh, extend it a little bit into a slightly longer run. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know, someone might get on top of Leicester. Maybe. That would be good. And Tottenham, of course, as well, and uh, you know, make the end of this season a bit interesting. Ridiculous, I know, but hey, right? That's it. I'll uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye bye. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the Angriest Man on Twitter. what are you doing you're supposed to be getting fit for Arsenal instead you're out in a nightclub nightclubs are no place for professional footballers they are dens of iniquity in fact anybody who goes to a nightclub should be considered a menace to society oh hello there girls how you doing tonight you're looking really beautiful Hey, is your name Wi-Fi? Because I feel like we've got a connection. I'm not, cunt. Fuck off. Women just don't understand me. Oh, hello, Jack, mate. Get well soon. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit!